Tragic news today for the families of three hostages currently being held by Hamas. The lead starts right now. Three Israeli hostages accidentally shot and killed earlier today by Israeli forces in the fog of war. Tragic news. Plus, verdict watch at a D.C. courthouse. At any moment, we're expecting the jury to return a verdict, one that could cost Rudy Giuliani almost $50 million after he defamed two election workers in Georgia who were just trying to do their jobs. Plus, CNN exclusive, the case of the missing classified binder. Once in the hands of Donald Trump, how did this notebook with top secret material on Russia just vanish? Poof, in the final hours of the Trump presidency. And could that information now be in the wrong hands? Welcome to The Lead. I'm Jake Tapper. We start this hour with an exclusive from a team of CNN journalists who report that a binder containing highly classified intelligence on Russia's attempts to interfere in the 2016 election disappeared in the final days of Donald Trump's presidency. To our knowledge, that top secret information is still missing more than three years later, and there are many theories as to where this missing binder might be and who may have taken it. One of those theories came from Cassidy Hutchinson, one of former Chief of Staff Mark Meadows' top aides who wrote about Mark Meadows taking the file in her book. I watched him climb into the limo, noticing the original Crossfire Hurricane binder tucked under his arm. I did not have time to ask what he planned to do with it as he drove away. What the hell is Mark doing with the unredacted Crossfire Hurricane binder? It's a good question. And I asked Hutchinson to expand on this passage of her book when I interviewed her about her book. Meadows takes what you believe is a classified binder Crossfire Hurricane, which is the uh, Trump-Russia investigation. Um, and um, he takes it to two far-right media figures who basically tow the MAGA party line. Um, and Cipollone tells you there's classified information in that to get it back. And you get it back. Um, Meadows said... I don't personally get it back. But, but it, it gets brought it, back. It, it, it gets brought, brought back. back. Not uh, on binders, by the way. It was unbound. By, unbound. By the time okay. <laughs> but but um, Meadows says, no, everything he gave had been unclassified by Trump. Well, I would say uh, there's a reason those documents were brought back. And I, I would, that's a very dubious response, in my opinion, because one, we got those documents back for a reason. And two, those documents still have not been fully declassified by the Justice Department. Yeah, I mean, that's a potential law break, um, law violation. If Correct. And that is also, show, it goes to show how there's a mentality, there was a mentality in the Trump administration of being frivolous with some of our nation, with some, with some of our country's most sensitive national security secrets. And do we really want people like that back in power? Now, Mark Meadows' attorney strongly denies that Meadows mishandled any classified information at the White House, regardless of what theory there is on who took the binder or where it might be now, we know that the missing information inside it was so secretive that that binder was kept in a safe within another safe at the headquarters of the CIA. Let's bring in some of the stellar CNN journalists who broke the story, CNN's Evan Pettis, Katie Bo Lillis, and Jeremy Herb. Jeremy, set the scene for us. Where, where did this binder even come from? Yeah, Jake, this binder contained a massive collection of documents related to the FBI's investigation into the Trump campaign and Russia, including this highly classified intelligence that was about Russia's attempts to meddle in the 2016 election. Now, for President Trump, he had spent years as president trying to declassify documents that he believed 
would prove his claims that the Russia investigation, the FBI's investigation, was a hoax. And so he ordered these documents brought to the White House in the final days of his presidency. And that set off a mad scramble at the White House to try to redact these documents so they could be declassified and released. Uh, the former president, he signed a declassification order on his final full day in office, but that order actually did not lead to the documents being released, Jake. And Jeremy, tell, tell us more about this mad scramble to get this information declassified within the very hour that Joe Biden was about to be sworn in as president. Yeah, this is with literally minutes to spare in Trump's presidency. Mark Meadows, the former White House chief of staff, he brought a copy, a redacted copy of this binder to the Justice Department. His idea here, he wanted the Justice Department to do a final Privacy Act review. Now, he and his allies, they thought this review it would just take a couple of days and then the information would be released. But years later, the Justice Department still has not released all of these documents. And a, and a Trump ally, actually, earlier this year, he sued to try to force the government's hand. So this is a fight, Jake. It's still ongoing. Evan, does this have anything to do with the FBI searching for classified documents at Trump's Mar-a-Lago back in August 2022? No, it does not, Jake. I mean, we've, uh, we've been told uh, that the, uh, the, the, the search of Mar-a-Lago, the, the, the subpoena, everything, uh, they were not looking for these documents specifically. And we know from the documents that they did retrieve during that search uh, at, at Mar-a-Lago that these were not among the documents that were part of it. We've also, you know, you could look at the court record in Jack Smith's case that has been brought against the former president for mishandling classified documents. And that is not, this is not mentioned. Um, we do know, though, that the FBI certainly spent months and months and months fighting off efforts by the former president uh, and, and people in Congress trying to get their hands on the full, full version of, the, of this binder. And they were very, very concerned that this would be damaging if it ever got out. Katie Bell, when it comes to national security and the upcoming presidential election, how big a deal is this binder should it get in, into the wrong hands? Uh, well, Jake, we know that, as, as you mentioned, some of the information contained in it was so sensitive that congressional officials were only allowed to view it at CIA headquarters quarters, and that it had to be kept inside a safe at Langley. But the real issue is that this binder contained what are known as sources and methods, right? This is some of the most sensitive information that the U.S. government possesses. It's the means by which the intelligence community acquires its information. So for the intelligence community, there's really no graver risk because if, for example, the identity of a human source is exposed, it could put that person's life in danger. Or if a foreign government learns that the U.S. has clandestine access to a particular computer network, for example, it might move to close off that access, leaving the United States in the dark. So we don't know what the sources and methods detailed in this binder were, but we do know that some of the intelligence had been gathered by America's NATO allies. So there would also have been a potential diplomatic risk if the U.S. allowed those allies' secrets to be exposed. That's why the disappearance of this binder was so alarming to intelligence officials. And in fact, it was so worrying that officials briefed Senate Intelligence Committee leadership on the situation last year, some 12 months after Trump had left the White House. And as we know, here we are more than two years later, we still don't know if this binder has been recovered. Katie Bolillis, Evan Pettis, Jeremy Herb, thanks to all of you joining us now to discuss. Olivia Troy, the former Homeland Security Advisor for Vice President Pence. She left the Trump administration in August 22. I'm sorry, August 2020. Uh, Olivia, did you ever hear about this binder? Uh, look, no, I was not involved in anything related to the binder. What I'll say is... I, I am very familiar with how we handle raw intelligence, especially in the White House. And I can tell you that reading the story was just infuriating. 
just to see kind of the way it was mishandled and the fact that this binder is still missing today and we have no idea where it is, it's just unbelievable to me. And again, another sign of just just a plain disregard for our national security. Security. Yeah, so it's it's 2023 uh, right now, but I'm flashing back to 2016, and I seem to recall one of the main arguments against Hillary Clinton was Republicans saying that she was allegedly careless with classified information by using this private email server. Um, and um, I'm not saying they were even wrong, but they that was that was one of the arguments, and they seemed to care quite a bit about this and how it could expose assets to, uh, to, to horrible things. I'm not a national security expert, I'm just a journalist, but this seems worse than what Hillary Clinton was accused of doing as Secretary of State. It's, it's a thousand times worse. Look, I, I was in the national security community when all of those conversations about Hillary and the emails were going on. I was upset about that. I, I had some concerns about it. Sure. I was like, you know, why we should be taking this seriously. Uh, especially when it comes to our country's leaders. But this is on a whole other level. And I think what we just heard about sources and methods, I just want to put it in a granular level that we're talking about people's lives here. And it also, the exposure of other potential operations that a binder like this might disrupt that are still ongoing still today, that is the context for this binder and what it contained and how disturbing it is that we would just sort of, somehow it just disappears into thin air, walks out, because that is people's lives and it's also years, years of setting up these operations that are potentially in that binder that could lead and expose us in so many different ways, including our foreign partners. So, but Cassidy Hutchinson also talks about um, Meadows taking a copy of this classified binder and sharing it with these two MAGA-friendly media figures who, you know, not that it would be okay to take it to, to Woodward and Bernstein anyway, because it's classified, but right. these people were hardly Woodward and Bernstein. This was, these were, these were uh, people who were oper- essentially media operatives for Donald Trump. Um, and whether it's the original document or, the, or a copy of it, that also seems to be an egregious violation of when you're trusted with national security secrets. Right. I mean, what clearances do these people have to have anything in their hands of this? Nothing. Right. And so, I mean, there are people that we we spend years vetting people, right? My clearance, my TS, my all of this, I've I've got polygraphs. Like, that takes years of vetting for people that you're going to be entrusted with this information. And even so, when you're reading the raw intelligence, I would have to go into a room, sign my name and sign it out, read it in the room, then sign my name that I had accessed it and sign out the time that I walked out of that room yeah. in a skiff within a skiff, so to speak, right? And so here we have right-wing pundits who are gonna take it. What are they gonna do? They're gonna distort the narratives, use it. I don't know what they're gonna do with it, but it's, again, it's just like, wh- why are we not taking this seriously as Republicans who care about national security, Republicans who back in the day used to stand against Russia? This is Russian intel. This is way serious. We should be taking this very, very seriously and investigating this. Well, I'll tell you something. If that was uh, Obama or Biden's chief of staff sharing it with a bunch of MSNBC pundits, there would be congressional hearings right now. I mean, without question. Why are Trump allies still obsessed with what's in this binder? I mean, there has been an investigation into the things that went wrong with the Trump-Russia investigation, right? I mean, there, there, there was an entire investigation, the Durham investigation, and there obviously were mistakes that were made. Why are they still focused on this? Well, I think they want the information. They think it's compromising. And also, look, I, I am very curious as to, did they hand that binder off to someone else? 
what what are they holding over people's Well, what heads? if the Russians got it and is another question. That's exactly what I'm saying. So is, did they get a hold of it? And also, it's the compromising of other partners who may have been involved in these operations. I'm talking about international partners that's putting their people at risk or their operations at risk, and it gets in the wrong hands. And we're like, all of this is playing into Putin's hand. And I, I look at this with the context of what's happening with Ukraine funding as well. And I'm watching sort of the Republican Party backslide in our strength on national security and foreign affairs. And I think this, this is just another egregious example of how these people who are governing right now are not to be taken seriously. And it's another example on why Donald Trump should not step foot in that Oval Office ever again. Olivia Troy, thank you so much. I appreciate it. In our law and justice lead right now, lawyers and parties are assembling in the courtroom as part of Rudy Giuliani's defamation damages trial in anticipation of a pending verdict. Giuliani, uh, as you may recall, was already found liable of defamation by a judge for falsely smearing two Georgia election workers, accusing them falsely of ballot tampering. CNN's Caitlin Palance is outside the courthouse in D.C. Caitlin, what are you seeing and hearing there? And also, what exactly was the jury tasked with deciding? Well, Jake, we are in a moment where we may be very close to a verdict. The judge has just taken the bench. The jury's been out for 10 hours deliberating, and it sounds as if there is a verdict now. The judges said there's a unanimous decision, and just a few minutes ago, the lawyers were all reassembling. We have a verdict in the Rudy Giuliani case, this damages defamation trial, where two women, Ruby Freeman and Shea Moss, are seeking tens of millions of dollars. They've asked for at least $48 million just to repair their reputations that Rudy Giuliani slandered over and over again in more than a dozen statements after the 2020 election, mentioning them by name and lying about what they did as poll workers, that they had counted absentee ballots. He had said they switched votes. That was not what happened at all. And these two women who went from anonymous workers, one was a worker employed by Georgia, one was a volunteer election worker, a mother and daughter. They went to become people who received just torrents of harassment from across the country, voicemails, messages. People came to their doors. People sent them pizzas unsolicited with racist messages in the checks that were on those pizzas that arrived at their homes. The jury heard all of this. They've been grappling with how much to award these two women, not just to repair their reputations for that reputational damage, but also for the emotional distress that they suffered. There is not an amount that they are asking for. The jury has free reign to pick a number to award them for their emotional distress. And then on top of that, their lawyers have asked this jury to punish Rudy Giuliani, to send a message not just to him that he must stop talking about these women and stop lying about them, but to send a message to anyone in a position of power who may be doing similar things. And I'll just remind you of one thing that was said on the stand during this testimony. Shamos, one of these workers, said to Rudy Giuliani's lawyer, I can't repair my reputation when your client keeps talking about me and keeps putting lies next to my name. The jury is coming into the courtroom right now. We're told it's an anonymous uh, verdict. Uh, we're going to bring that to you as it happens. And Caitlin, just to remind people, uh, Rudy Giuliani did not end up testifying uh, in his own defense, which was probably a wise decision because he was earlier earlier this week uh, on TV lying still, standing by his previous lies that he's already been found guilty of defamation, standing by his previous lies, 
promising that he was going to go on the stand and continue lying. Uh, ultimately, somebody, you know, wiser ha- uh, heads prevailed and convinced him that that would be a bad idea. But, but he has really done himself no favors uh, because, as you note, this is an attempt to send a message not just to Rudy Giuliani, but to all of the bad actors out there. You can't do this. We'll see what the jury ultimately decides. That's right, Jake. So one of the things that happened is as happens here over at the courthouse, the things that happen outside are not necessarily what happens before the judge, before the jury in court. Rudy Giuliani on Monday after the proceedings, the first day of this trial, walked outside and immediately doubled down and said, stand by, I'm going to have more information for you, doubling down on those lies, or at least it's saying that he intended to double down on those lies. But that was not the strategy that his attorney took in court. His attorney uh, actually told the jury, these women have a valid story to tell. What I am here trying to do on behalf of Rudy Giuliani in this court is to limit the amount of damages you assess against him. Don't fine him too much. He's not the only person responsible of this. Have compassion for them. And his attorney, Rudy Giuliani's attorney, Joe Sibley, even told the jury, we're not going to be calling Rudy Giuliani to testify because these two women, Shea Moss and Ruby Freeman, they have been through enough. Their testimony was powerful. The jury heard it. They weren't going to counter that Caitlin, with let, Rudy let, Giuliani Caitlin, let me inter- on the stand. Let me interrupt you for one second. Um, we're told uh, mm-hmm. that the jury uh, has uh, awarded uh, monetary damages uh, and they are in the amount of $16 million per victim, so 16, or I guess plaintiff, I should say, $16 million uh, for Ruby Freeman, $16 million uh, for Shea Moss. That is a lot of money, $32 million, not as much as they were asking for, $48 million, but still quite a bit of money. And Caitlin, does Rudy Giuliani even have that money anymore? Jake, it doesn't appear so. And Jake, we are now looking at uh, what our reporters inside the courtroom are sending out as information now. Uh, Holmes Libran, uh, watching this live, is saying that the punitive damages in this case, the punishment, the message to be sent here, that amount is $75 million. That is on top of $40 million, 20 each, for the emotional distress being felt by Ruby Freeman and Shea Moss. And then on top of that, $16.1 million for Ruby Freeman for the defamation, the reputational damage she suffered, and almost $17 million for Shea Moss for the reputational damage that she has suffered. So that is well over $100 million awarded to these two women in total. That is a very, very large sum. I've been looking back and that is the type of number um, that these women surely would have been hoping for uh, to truly send a message as their attorneys were wanting here. That number is not a number that Rudy Giuliani or any individual in his state would would very likely be able to pay. They are going to be asking, we already know from some of the proceedings this morning, to try and start collecting on what they can immediately. But that is not necessarily all this case is about. It is not just, do they get the money in hand? It is the message that it sends. And $75 million as punishment is quite an astonishing number. So let me just read these numbers again. So for, uh, for Ruby Freeman, 16 million dollars for defamation also for ruby friedman 20 million dollars for emotional distress for shea moss 
$16 million for defamation, I'm approximating here, for emotional distress for Shea Moss, $20 million, and then on top of that, $75 million in punitive damages. Do I have that right? That is what I'm seeing as well as our reporting at this time. Um, one of the things to remember here is that punitive damages can skyrocket uh, in cases like this. They are something that really the jury has a lot of, of breath to go with. Although there are there are laws that say it can't go more than three or four times the amount in the other damages that are assessed. But this is more than one hundred forty eight million dollars. That's an astonishing amount of money. And this is against one man. This is Rudy Giuliani, a person, not a company, not a group of people. One person for the statements that he made after the 2020 election. One man who almost single handedly ruined the reputations and, and lives of these two women, we should say, uh, I, 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 that I know you know. Um, so again, this is the, the, the lawyers originally asked for $48 million for Ruby Friedman and Shea Moss, and they ultimately got $148 million. Uh, uh, really uh, shocking. Let me bring in uh, Evan Pettis now. Uh, Evan, um, really, uh, I guess, not surprising in, in one sense that the jury was asked um, to send a message right. to these election liars who are so careless and reckless, not only with the truth, but with the reputations of innocent individuals like these two election workers, uh, one of whom was just a volunteer. But that is an astounding figure. I, I, I'm not sure that it will hold up uh, on appeal. Right. Uh, but it is an astounding figure, $148 million for the two of them. It, it truly is, Jake. And one of the things that, you know, look, one of the things about the American system, right, there's a lot of criticism about our system. But one of the things is that you can go to court and put a number on the cost of these lies that, uh, that, that, that Rudy Giuliani and, and Sidney Powell and Donald Trump and everybody around them uh, were parroting and were, were, were frankly just using as a cudgel against not only Ruby Freeman but against so many other people uh, in, the, in the wake of the, the former president's losing the election uh, in uh, 2020. And what this does is that you have a jury that has actually put a number to that cost, uh, just in the case of, 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 uh, of, of Rudy Giuliani. And in this case, it's, a, it's just over $148 million is what the cost of that is. And, and look, I mean, the, the, the two women there uh, testified to the, to the January 6th committee. They testified to this court. They've told their story of what this cost them. They can't go to, to the store without being fearful. They've gotten all these threats. You've heard some of those awful, awful threats, the, the audio of some of those threats that they received. And they're not alone, right? Because the other, the other thing is that uh, this, is, this case is just a small reminder of, of the uh, threats that are being felt by election workers, by state officials, by people around the country. Anyone who was associated with, uh, with elections uh, has been on the receiving end of these types of threats. And people have to fear for their lives. And so some people, in this case, these two women have decided that 
they are going to court and fight back and the cost uh, that uh, we now know from a jury that uh, that comes with that is 148 million dollars. I can read you just another uh, just another summation of, of these numbers uh, for defamation for Ruby Freeman 16.1 million dollars uh, for uh, for um, for uh, Shea Moss for just under 17 million dollars emotional distress for Ruby Freeman 20 million dollars and 20 million dollars also for Shea Moss and then the punitive damages uh, altogether 75 million dollars according to this jury uh, here in Washington and so uh, put together again 148 million dollars something that Rudy that uh, that Rudy Giuliani has publicly said in various uh, other litigation he doesn't have the money to pay he we know that he has uh, Jake has put on the market some of his real estate he had real estate in New York and Florida that he has been trying to sell um, all of course uh, in the middle of uh, some other messy financial dealings that uh, that Rudy has had uh, he was trying to get rid of some other assets um, because of uh, a rather messy personal life that he's had over the last few years so all together the question is uh, how much of this these two women will be able to recover to try to mend uh, the damage that has been done, it's not clear. It's going to be one of the things that happens now is that, Jake, the, these two ladies are going to have to hire lawyers to go chase after these assets around the country, wherever Rudy has them, to try to uh, attach their, their, their claims to it and, and be able to collect it. It's not over at all just because of this jury verdict today. Yeah, and we should note, I mean, earlier this year, Fox uh, had to pay $787.5 million right. uh, to Dominion Voting uh, because of the lies that their anchors, hosts, and guests constantly spewed uh, during uh, the same period. Uh, it turns out these lies and uh, defamatory comments are ending up to be really expensive for right, a bunch and, and, of people. And, and we should add, by the way, the, the person at the center of this, Donald Trump, right, has uh, so far been able to just use a lot of donations from average people around the country. He's, he's used uh, 2020 election and his effort to overturn that as a real huge fundraising gain for himself. And they've, they've, they've collected millions and millions and millions of dollars and that has funded some of his loss, uh, some of his legal costs, and so on. So he hasn't really had to shoulder much of this uh, himself. He's had donors around the country actually uh, paying for some of this. So uh, the, the person at the center of all those lies hasn't really had to pay those costs in the same way. Again, uh, defamation, $16 million a piece. Emotional distress, $20 million a piece. Punitive damages, $75 million. Uh, let's bring in CNN senior legal analyst Ellie Honig uh, to explain this all. Um, Ellie, uh, for those of us who are uh, not attorneys, uh, if you could explain the difference between defamation money, emotional distress money, and punitive damage money. Sure, Jake. So first of all, any way you cut this up, this is a massive verdict. This is a real statement by the jury. So first of all, when we, when we talk about defamation damages, and that totals out to about $16 million for each of these plaintiffs, that means the damage to their reputation. What you're trying to do with this number is make them whole. It's impossible, obviously, to put a scientific number on this. That's what juries are for. And they've judged that the amount of damage done to the reputation of these two women is $16 million each. Then you get into emotional distress. Again, there's not a scientific formula for how you equate emotional distress to dollars. Again, that's what juries do. And here they've decided that that is worth about $20 million for each of these plaintiffs. And so if you take what we call together, all those numbers are what we call compensatory damages, meaning how much are these women due in order to make them whole again, essentially to pay them back. And that totals out to about 
$72 million. Now, the second big category is punitive damages, and those awards total $75 million. Punitive damages are different. They're for a different purpose. They're to punish. They're to punish Rudy Giuliani for extraordinarily egregious conduct. They're intended to send a message to Rudy Giuliani and to the general public, and I think that's exactly what the jury did here. When we think about the inequities in this case, when we think about an extraordinarily powerful, remorseless liar like Rudy Giuliani, compared to these women who are civil servants, they never signed up for this. Their lives were turned over. And I think that's why you see such a high number here from the jury. It's, it's pretty astounding. And now, uh, Ellie, I've often seen big uh, jury uh, numbers like these uh, whittled down in, in appeals. Do you think that that's likely to happen? Well, Rudy Giuliani certainly has the right to appeal and will appeal. The main way that these numbers often get whittled down is on the punitive damages side of this. Sometimes you'll see a jury come back with a compensatory damages amount, and then the punitive damages amount is four, five, ten times as much. Appeals courts don't like that. Appeals courts are going to look at the reasonableness of it and the ratio. Generally speaking, we have about a one-to-one ratio here. We have about 70-some million, 72 or $3 million dollars on the compensatory side, $75 million on the punitive side. Generally speaking, appeals courts are okay with a one-to-one ratio or so. If the punitive damages had been, say, double compensatory, then I think you might be in a situation where an appeals court can knock it down. But yes, appeals courts do have the ability to knock down these numbers. They do fairly often. But given that the equality of the numbers here, and I think given the strength of the evidence, I think the, the plaintiffs are going to have a good argument to uphold this verdict on appeal. And just to remind folks, I want to play what Giuliani said about, just a piece of what he said uh, about uh, Shea Moss and Ruby Freeman. Remember, their, their mother and daughter way back in 2020 uh, to the Georgia State House. Uh, the defam- some of the defamatory comments he said. And remember... They, their, their behavior, their conduct, Shea Moss and Ruby Friedman, has been vouched for not only by Gabe Sterling uh, and Brad Raffensperger, Republican elections officials in Georgia, but also Donald Trump's own Justice Department investigated the allegations were being made and found absolutely no malfeasance and told that to Donald Trump. Um, so I want to play some of what he said back in 2020, and then after that, some of what he said earlier this week when he was standing by these same lies. Take a look. How can they say there's no fraud? Look at that woman. Look at her taking those ballots out. Look at them scurrying around with the ballots. Nobody in the room hiding around. They look like this. They look like they're passing out dope, not just ballots. But everything I said about them is true. Do you regret no. what you did to Sh- Of course I don't regret. I told the truth. They, they were engaged in changing votes. There's no proof of that. Oh, you're damn right there is. Stay tuned. You're damn right there is. Stay tuned. We have been staying tuned since November 2020. There is no proof of any of this. All of this has been lies. And jury after jury, election board after election board has said that. First of all, Ellie Honig, I have to say, saying it looks like these two African-American women are sharing dope uh, is, uh, I wouldn't even call it a, a dog whistle. It, it's, it's a bullhorn uh, from Rudy Giuliani. I mean, it's basically uh, engaging in the, the, the worst kind of racist sleaze uh, imaginable. But beyond that, how on earth can he go before the cameras 
three years later and still be standing by this insanity. Jake, that moment earlier this week when Rudy Giuliani repeated his defamation of these same women was just astonishing. I've really never seen anything like that whatsoever. It obviously makes no sense. It's completely self-destructive legally. And just in the broader terms, it's just disgraceful conduct by Rudy Giuliani. I thought when he headed into this damages hearing, now look, Rudy and his lawyer conceded. They didn't even fight the fact that he was liable for defamation. They said, we're just going to have a trial on the damages amount. I thought, naively, I guess, that the strategy would be for Rudy to sort of make amends, to say, look, I didn't intend for this to get out of hands. I was caught up in the moment. Maybe show some remorse or contrition. Instead, he does 180 degrees the opposite. I guess we should have seen that coming. And by the way, if you want to know why the jury just hit him with a $75 million punitive damages, I think those comments outside the courthouse had a lot to do with it. Would the jury have known about it, those comments? Sure. I think it's fair play. His lawyer was actually confronted. The judge at one point said, how do you square what he said just outside here with his position here in court? And the lawyer had nothing. The lawyer said, I can't square it, Your Honor. He used to be a good man. And I hope the jury just judges him as such, which is sort of irrelevant if he was a good man 25 years ago. So yeah, I think this is absolutely a big factor in this case. Now, Rudy Giuliani was not the only one defaming these two women. Um, oh, here's Rudy Giuliani, some live pictures uh, of Rudy Giuliani uh, looking at his phone. Uh, he's uh, being followed by some people who are obviously not fans of his, and that's his attorney. Um, Rudy Giuliani having been delivered a almost a 150, let's listen in. I don't regret a damn thing he just said. Of course, there's very little I could say right now. I have to analyze this, obviously. Possibly we'll move for a new trial. Certainly we'll appeal. The absurdity of the number merely underscores the absurdity of the entire proceeding where I've not been allowed to offer one single piece of evidence in defense, of which I have a lot. So I am quite confident when this case gets before a fair tribunal, it'll be reversed so quickly, it'll make your head spin. And the absurd number that just came in will help that, actually. Why did you choose not right, to testify? Why do you think it was unfair? Why do you think it was unfair? Because go I cannot go into the details. I didn't testify because the judge made it clear that if I made any mistake or did anything wrong, she was considering contempt. And this judge does have a reputation for putting people in jail. And I thought, honestly, it wouldn't do any good. Do you still believe that what you said about these two women in the wake of the 2020 election was do you, truthful? Do you still believe do you, these do you claims? Still believe I, have, I, I, have, I have no doubt. I have no doubt that my comments were made and they were supportable and are supportable today. Still. I just did not have an opportunity to present the evidence that we offered. Did you notice we were not allowed to put in one piece of evidence in defense? Do you also realize that liability is not based on any trial? Liability is based on her disagreement with me on discovery, which so is, a, which is absurd. Because I believe the judge was threatening me with the strong possibility that I'd be held in contempt or that I'd even be put in jail. Did so it didn't, seem, it didn't seem like it was going to do much to persuade anybody. And it could uh, give her what she seem to be threatening. Did you believe sure, the women's sure. testimony? Do you have any all right. regrets about That's all I have to say. I have, I have. Do you have any regrets about oh, some of the I, comments I, I, that you were I, 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 I
you have any regrets right. about some of the comments that the women received? Well, of course, the comments they received I had nothing to do with. Those comments are abominable, they're deplorable. No uh, defense to it, but I receive comments like that every day. Uh, different kinds of things. Uh, I've represented clients who have gotten that from the other side. This is a terrible part of our political system. Republicans, Democrats, liberals, and conservatives all get that. Uh, my comments weren't that, and I think that was also a very unfair part of it because my comments had no connection at all to those. There were thousands of things on the pre in the press about this, of which mine were a small amount. There's no way to say that my comments connected to that, but that's going to be part of what we'll get to litigate in a fair court. Thank you. Is that behavior Thank you, that everybody. you officially condemn, sir? Thank you, guys. Thank you. Oh, how the mighty have fallen. Uh, Time Magazine's uh, 2001 Person of the Year, uh, Rudy Giuliani, uh, has just been ordered to pay almost $150 million uh, in, uh, for emotional distress, defamation, and punitive damages to two election workers, uh, Ruby Shea, I'm sorry, Ruby Friedman, uh, and, and Shea Moss for, for, you know, just smearing them, just dragging their names through the mud. Uh, and he continues to stand by his lies. Ellie Honig, uh, let's go through um, some of what he just said. Uh, first of all, obviously, uh, Mr. Giuliani said that he was going to seek a new trial or appeal. Uh, I'm not sure that he has any basis for a new trial. Do you, do you have any thoughts as to why he might be able to get a new trial? He's not going to be able to get a new trial, Jake. He, he can ask. Everyone does. But there was nothing that I saw at all wrong with that trial. And as we said before, he has the right to appeal. He certainly will appeal. And there's a chance he gets these numbers knocked down somewhat. But I, I have to say this, if I can do a quick fact check of the pure nonsense that we just heard. OK, we only have an Rudy hour. Giuliani. We only have an hour and 23 minutes. <laughs> so you can't fact check everything that Rudy Giuliani just said. But give us the, the lowlights. I'll pick the low light. So first of all, Rudy said he was not permitted to put in any evidence in his own defense. Completely false. In fact, Rudy Giuliani admitted that he was liable. He gave up his right to have that portion of the trial, an unusual move. But he said, yes, he and his lawyer put in papers saying, we're not contesting. This was defamation. That was his own choice. Then in the trial we just had about damages, he had ample opportunity to put in evidence in his own defense. He did put in some evidence in his own defense. He just chose not to take the stand, which I guess brings me to point two. He came up with this convoluted explanation that the reason he didn't take the stand is he was afraid the judge was menacing him with threats of contempt and prison. I mean, that's all in his mind. The judge said nothing to indicate she was going to imprison Rudy Giuliani. That is that is a just a, a complete fantasy world. And finally, one point that Rudy Giuliani said, he said, well, they got these threats, but I get these threats every day. Republicans, Democrats, people get these threats every day. I mean, first of all, that's not true. The threats these women received were particularly vile, racist, and virulent. But the other thing is, Rudy Giuliani is a public figure. He puts himself out there. You and I, Jake, put ourselves out there. It's okay if people want to criticize us and attack us. But Ruby Freeman and Shea Moss did not make themselves public figures. They were civil servants. They were civilians. They were counting votes in a humble way as servants of the county. They didn't ask for this. They didn't ask for one of the most powerful, famous people in the country to come after them and unleash the masses at them. So I'll leave it at those three top things that I want to address for now. And let's also just uh, underline the fact that if Rudy Giuliani had any evidence to back up anything that he was claiming, 
he would have presented it right now. He would have presented it back in in 2020 or 2021 or 2022 or earlier this year. There is no evidence because they didn't do anything wrong. And just to go over this uh, really uh, stunningly high uh, verdict, um, defamation damages that Rudy Giuliani is now ordered to pay to Ruby Friedman, uh, $16,171,000. Uh, Shea Moss was awarded um, $16,998,000. $16,998,000. So that's approximately $16 million each. Um, both uh, women, Freeman and Moss, have been awarded a piece, $20 million, and for emotional distress. And then on top of that, and if you do the math, that's roughly $36 million each for each woman, uh, which is $72 million total. On top of that, the jury awarded them $75 million in punitive damages. Punitive, and that is uh, a, a signal to other liars out there, election liars out there who want to go and defame people. Um, you can say what you want to do. You can say what you want, but there might be a hefty price tag. Let's go to CNN's Jessica Schneider, who's been covering this trial for us. Jessica, uh, what do you make of the fact that these numbers are $100 million higher than what their attorneys were asking for? I think, Jake, it really speaks to um, how uh, really riveting the testimony was from both Ruby Moss, uh, or I'm sorry, Shea Moss and Ruby Freeman, mother and daughter. They were on the stand for a considerable amount of time. This was just a four-day trial. They were the witnesses in this trial. Mm-hmm. And they said things, Jake, that we didn't hear during the January 6th committee hearings. You know, during the committee hearings, we heard in broad strokes how all of Rudy Giuliani's comments upended their life. But in this trial, we heard specifics. I mean, uh, Ruby Freeman, the, the mother, she talked about how she was getting so many phone calls and so many voicemails that at one point she went to the police station. While she was at the police station, she had the, the police officer, the, the detective who was handling her case, answer the phone while she was in that interview and start documenting what people were calling and saying to her. They played at least seven different voicemails during this trial. It was just astonishing to hear the harassment, the death threats they got, how they had to go into hiding, and then, of course, how their reputations were harmed. And that's where this money comes in. They aren't able or weren't able to get jobs. They left their positions um, as, as election workers and in some cases weren't able to get jobs, even when they applied uh, to things completely unrelated. So, Jake, I really think that this eight-person jury in this unanimous decision to award $148 million, um, they listened very carefully to all of this very riveting and disturbing testimony from these two women um, who now Rudy Giuliani will have to pay. But, of course, that's another issue. We, we don't even know if Rudy Giuliani will have the money. Yeah, and, and just for those wondering why they weren't able to get jobs afterwards, uh, one can only imagine um, the, the prejudice against them. Uh, it, Georgia is obviously a state that is evenly divided politically. Um, and even if they're individuals who believe that they were innocent, there's also a risk to the safety of your other employees if you hire people who are continually getting death threats because the former president of the United States uh, and Rudy Giuliani are continuing to defame them and lie about them. That is an, an actual liability for the protection of other workers that you might have in your office. Um, I yeah. want to, um, yeah, I want to bring in Caitlin, bring back Caitlin Polance. Um, Caitlin, uh, what are you hearing uh, from inside the courtroom in terms of what the reaction was uh, by the plaintiffs, by the jury, by Rudy Giuliani, whatever color you have? 
Right, so what we have heard from our eyes and ears in the courtroom, Devin Cole, is that there was a sense of relief and jubilation that came over the courtroom after the verdict was read here. Ruby Freeman, uh, I'm told, closed her eyes uh, and seemed to be very relieved as the numbers were being read. Rudy Giuliani appeared to be writing down what the numbers was throughout the trial. He's had a laptop iPad in front of him with a stylus that he's been reading the news, highlighting things. He was writing down those numbers in the courtroom as the verdict came in. And then another detail uh, is that the judge apparently was was so taken aback by the size of these numbers that she stumbled as she was reading them out loud. This is not a judge that stumbles very often when she speaks, uh, but that is what happened whenever these were read. Uh, and then, of course, hugs among the legal team, among the two women. That is something we've seen. They have been quite emotive throughout the court proceedings and the trial. At the end of every day, the attorneys will hug both Shea Moss and Ruby Freeman. They've even said on the stand they like their attorneys very much. They've clearly formed a relationship with them where they're comfortable talking about how deeply distressing all of these episodes were. And so that is what happened in the courtroom. Hugs all around. This isn't the first time they have received some sort of outcome in a case like this. They previously settled for an undisclosed sum with the news outlet OAN, uh, but we don't know how much they were able to get there. This clearly is quite a sizable award and a message that is being sent to these two women that they should be able to repair their reputation. That is what the jury found here, uh, awarding them exactly what was asked for to repair that reputation. Yeah, well, $148 million, $100 million more than they asked for. Uh, Caitlin Polance, uh, stand by. Uh, I want to bring in Caitlin Collins. And Caitlin, uh, what's astounding uh, to me, and would, just to, for people to note, we are waiting for the plaintiffs to come and, and speak uh, to the cameras. And, and when, when uh, these, are their, these are their attorneys, so let's uh, listen in to see. Okay, let's just listen in and see what they have to say. And Caitlin, I'll bring you in in a minute. Um, the plaintiffs are approaching the microphones. They... Uh, they got their day in court, uh, and they presumably feel like they got uh, justice. So let's listen in. Thanks, everyone, for coming out. Ms. Freeman and Ms. Moss are going to give a brief statement, and they won't be taking any questions after. Thank you. Good evening, everyone. Um, my name is Shay Moss. I've spent... 10 years as an election worker in Fulton County, Georgia, the lies Rudy Giuliani told about me and my mommy after the 2020 presidential election have changed our lives. And the past few years has been devastating. The flame that Giuliani lit with those lies and passed to so many others to keep that flame blazing changed every aspect of our lives, our homes, our family, our work, our sense of safety, our mental health, and we're still working to rebuild. As we move forward and continue to seek justice, our greatest wish is that no one, no election worker or voter or school board member or anyone else ever experiences anything like what we went through. You all matter and you are all important. We hope no one ever has to fight so hard just to get your name back. We're very grateful to the jury for taking the time out of their busy lives to do their civic duty, 
to listen to everything that we've been going through. I know I won't be able to retire from my job with the county like my grandmother did, but I hope by us taking these steps, these very big steps towards justice, that I can make her justice proud. Thank you. Good evening, everyone. I am Lady Ruby. Today's a good day. A jury stood witness to what Rudy Giuliana did to me and my daughter and held him accountable, and for that I'm thankful. Today is not the end of the road. We still have work to do. Rudy Giuliani was not the only one who spread lies about us and others must be held accountable too. But that is tomorrow's work. For now, I want people to understand this. Money will never solve all of my problems. I can never move back into the house that I called home. I will always have to be careful about where I go and who I choose to share my name with. I miss my home, I miss my neighbors, and I miss my name. I've heard some of you. Don't be sad for me. Don't waste your time being angry at those who did this to me and my daughter. We are more than conquerors. Pray for us as we continue to fight the good fight of faith. I tell my attorneys often, my friends say that God knew who to give this assignment to because if it had been them, they wouldn't have been able to go through this. God chose me to go through this because he knows that I would tell everyone whose path I crossed about Jesus. I'm strong and my faith shall never waver. From day one, I said, now faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. If you remember one thing I say today, remember this. Faith is what carried us through the most difficult years of my life. And faith will carry you through hardships that you face in life. Understand that the devil is a liar. He is defeated and no weapon formed against you shall prosper. Trust that God will keep and protect you. Believe that right makes might because it does. I thank God that I'm not intimidated by no one or their lies. Give thanks that injustice always surrender in the glorious kingdom of God and that he will always lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Peace that surpasses all understanding. Thank you. What message does your verdict send to the country today? It's okay, it's okay, it's okay.
All right, we wanted to see if uh, Shea Moss or Ruby Freeman were going to take the bait from that reporter who tried to <coughs> try to get an answer as to what message the verdict sends to the country. Uh, it looked like they were contemplating answering it, but then their lawyers whisked them away. Uh, Shea Moss uh, and uh, Lady Ruby, as she identified herself, her mother, Ruby Friedman, uh, now uh, have the benefit of a $148 million um, verdict in their favor for the lies and smears from uh, Rudy Giuliani uh, during the 2020 election. It turns out that that campaign was uh, the negative campaign. The lies and the smears about the 2020 election has proved to be rather expensive for um, Mr. Giuliani, for uh, Mr. Murdoch over at News Corps. Uh, and we'll see. Uh, there, there are still plenty of other um, verdicts to come, uh, one presumes. Let me bring back uh, Caitlin Collins. Uh, Caitlin, uh, what's astounding in, in all this beyond just the abject cruelty and the mendacity uh, of Rudy Giuliani is the fact that he is still sticking by these lies for which there is absolutely no evidence, uh, claiming that there will be evidence. It's three years later. There is none. Uh, that's the reason we haven't seen any. It was looked into by Republican election officials in Georgia. It was looked into by his own Department of Justice officials uh, during that period of November, December 2020. There is no evidence that either of these women did anything untoward at all. Uh, and yet this lie about the 2020 election is the animating force of Donald Trump's reelection campaign. Yeah. And Rudy Giuliani undermining his own defense this week as they were talking about these women and what they did and trying to minimize what the damages were going to be. And then Giuliani would go outside court and stand by what he said about those two women that you just heard from there. And I'm just struck by what but what Ruby Freeman said there, Jake, you know, that response saying, you know, don't seek vengeance or, or whatnot on their behalf, talking about how they their reaction to this. And I think people look at that number and think, that is a massive number. One, they're never going to see that money. We know that because Rudy Giuliani can't pay that. His legal troubles, his financial troubles are well documented. He can't even pay his own attorney who is suing him for unpaid legal fees. But what Ruby Freeman said there at the end, Jake, that no matter what this number is that they got today, that she will never be able to get her home that she lived in, I should note, for 20 years before she was forced to leave it because of the threats, not just from what Ru Rudy Giuliani was saying. Donald Trump, the sitting president at the time, went after these women in his speech on January 6th. He accused them of fraudulently inserting ballots in the state of Georgia, which obviously, Jake, as we know, he was watching very closely on that day. And so I think you look at this number today, $148 million over that, that Rudy Giuliani has been ordered to pay. But who is at the heart of this is also the current Republican frontrunner for president. I mean, that is why Rudy Giuliani did what he did. Yes, he's his own person. He has his own agency. He makes his own decisions. But he acted, you know, in line with what his former client, his former boss, wanted him to do in this sense. And that was, you know, seeking out these two women, accusing them of passing drugs when they were passing just a, a mint back and forth. And it just speaks to that. And I think it does go back to what we're seeing playing out right now, which is that the person who is really at the center of all of this is still someone who could very well be the Republican nominee for president, who, based on the poll numbers, is going to be a potentially competitive Republican nominee for president. And I think that's what strikes at the heart of this when you hear Ruby Freeman talking about what she can't get back and amount of damages awarded by a jury. Yeah, and it, it's remarkable um, that even though Rudy Giuliani has been ordered to pay $148 million here, uh, and as you note, that's 
he doesn't have $148 million, uh, although he does have some properties. Who knows what ultimately he will have to turn over. Uh, and even though uh, Rupert Murdoch and News Corp had to, had to pay, pay up uh, more than five times that uh, to Dominion voting, and there are still several other defamation suits out there against the various liars uh, of the election 2020 nonsense, um, both Fox and Rudy Giuliani remain loyal uh, to the individual whose lies have now cost them uh, tens, hundreds of millions of dollars. Yeah, I was talking to Andrew Kurtzman last night, who, who wrote the book on Rudy Giuliani, who has covered him for three decades, you know, from when he was, as you were saying earlier, on the cover of Time magazine, you know, was a hero wherever he went, certainly here in New York City, and to where he is now. And he was saying that even despite all of this, he still doesn't think that, you know, in Georgia, where Rudy Giuliani is still facing an indictment there, that he is going to ever turn on the former president, that he'd ever be in any way a cooperating witness against the former president, that he does still have that loyalty. And the thing, Jake, that's remarkable about this, and it's never surprising, but it's always there covering Trump, is the loyalty is a one-way street. I mean, we broke the story here that when Rudy Giuliani flew down to Mar-a-Lago with his attorney and was pleading with Trump, both of them, to try to get Trump to pay for his legal fees because he cannot pay them. Yes, he does have properties. He's selling his apartment here in New York, I believe, for about $6 million. But that's obviously a drop in the bucket of what he is going to have to pay. I mean, he's still paying, going to have to have an attorney in the state of Georgia. And Trump wouldn't pay it. I mean, he paid a small portion of a, of a fee that basically to store your records. But that was it. It was only a few hundred thousand dollars. And he appeared at a fundraiser for Giuliani's legal fees. But he himself is not paying for Rudy Giuliani's legal fees, which has been, you know, obviously a sore subject between the two of them. And, and I can't even imagine how he's going to react to this number today, a staggering amount of over $148 million that Rudy Giuliani has been ordered to pay that he cannot pay. And just, Jake, he won't be able to pay it. That's very clear. I don't think they're expecting it. But it's the point of the fact that he did tell these lies about these women. He ruined their lives. And a jury, the argument from his, from their attorney was basically, you're sending a message, not just to Rudy Giuliani with how much you decide here, but you're sending a message to anyone who could try to do what Rudy Giuliani has done here to these two women. And clearly you saw how the jury spoke with, with what this number is today. The big news, Rudy Giuliani ordered to pay nearly $150 million to Ruby Freeman and her daughter, Shay Moss, two election workers in Georgia, two women in Georgia, just doing their jobs. Their attorneys initially asked for $48 million. The jury awarded them that, plus $100 million more. More breaking news. We are just getting in the autopsy results for actor Matthew Perry, showing why the Friends star died so tragically. We have a lot going on. We're going to squeeze in a quick break. We haven't taken one in an hour and 10 minutes. We'll be right back. This podcast is supported by Sleep Number. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs, so you can choose what's right for each of you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores? Sleep Number does that. Only Sleep Number Smart Beds let you each choose your ideal comfort and support. Your Sleep Number setting. Sleep Number Smart Beds learn how you sleep and provide personalized insights to help you sleep better. All Sleep Number smart beds feature cooling, pressure-relieving comfort layers for soothing sleep throughout the night. Temperature-balancing bedding is designed to move heat and moisture away when you're hot. When you're cool, they hold their energy to help warm you. Sleep better together. 
J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. And we're back with our breaking news. Rudy Giuliani, the former lawyer for Donald Trump and the former New York mayor, has been ordered by a jury to pay $148 million to the two former Georgia election workers he repeatedly defamed. You might remember their names are Ruby Freeman and her daughter, Shay Moss. Mr. Giuliani, among others, spread vicious lies and conspiracy theories about them after the 2020 election. They had no basis, in fact. He said he would produce evidence to show they were true. He never did because he couldn't because they were false. Let's go to CNN anchor Caitlin Collins. Caitlin, at one point, do these people lying about the election who continually are not able to provide any evidence to back up any of their claims, and this has been true going back to November 2020, at what point do they just stop? At what point do they just stop lying? I, I don't know. I mean, it hasn't happened yet, Jacob. They're still claiming that that evidence is coming, that it's, that it's imminent, that it's on the way. They've never produced it. It doesn't exist, as you noted, so they won't be able to produce it. And everyone who has done the hand recounts from the state of Georgia to top election officials, uh, the attorney general at the time, Bill Barr, who went down a lot of these rabbit holes to make sure that he could be able to tell the president none of this is true. I I mean, none of it ever produced anything and they have continued to do it. And I think what you're seeing is, is the human cost of that, Jake. You know, you were talking earlier about Fox and what they had to pay and the lies that they spread. You know, these are two individuals, one of whom was making about $36,000 a year, her daughter or her mother was making about $16 an hour that had to deal with this. And what they went through at the time, you know, they didn't have security, Jake. They didn't have people. These are, they had people coming to their homes at 10 p.m. at night, knocking on the doors. They were too scared to give 911 operators their phone numbers because that's how many, uh, you know, threatening messages and texts and calls they were getting from people because of the former president. And I think that's what's important. Obviously, this day is about Rudy Giuliani and what he's been ordered to pay. The next step for him is likely bankruptcy because he, he cannot pay anywhere close to this amount. I think even if this is about $2 million, Jake, he was going to have trouble paying it, much less over $148 million. But Donald Trump is at the center of this because he was the president at the time who, in that phone call with the Georgia Secretary of State, invoked Ruby Freeman's name, saying that they were putting ballots in suitcases, that they were fraudulently putting ballots into what was being counted in the state of Georgia. He's at the center of this. And of course, he is running right now to be the Republican nominee for president in 2024. And he's still pushing these election lies that are at the center of this, that Rudy Giuliani was trying so desperately to to prove on his behalf. I mean, I I guess, you know, after January 6th, nothing really surprises me anymore. I mean, people actually literally died because of the lies. Uh, Four of them Trump supporters uh, who were uh, on the Capitol that day and lost their lives, uh, one of whom shot by a Capitol police officer uh, in in a shooting that was found uh, just uh, by a police review board, and then a number of other uh, law enforcement officers, Brian Sicknick and others, who uh, who died by suicide uh, because of post-traumatic stress and suicidal ideation after that horrific, horrific day. It's just uh, you know, so why? So if people are going to lose their lives and it's not going to stop them, why would people losing their livelihoods and reputations stop him? But I want to play this reaction to the to the verdict just moments ago from the plaintiffs again. Uh, Shay Moss, uh, who was an election worker in Georgia for about 10 years, and her mother, Ruby Freeman, who was a volunteer 
They did nothing wrong, as, as ruled by Republican election officials in Georgia and at Trump's own Department of Justice. Uh, this is their reaction to the verdicts earlier today. The lies Rudy Giuliani told about me and my mommy after the 2020 presidential election have changed our lives. And the past few years has been devastating. The flame that Giuliani lit with those lies and passed to so many others to keep that flame blazing changed every aspect of our lives. Money will never solve all of my problems. I can never move back into the house that I called home. I will always have to be careful about where I go and who I choose to share my name with. I miss my home, I miss my neighbors, and I miss my name. Two more victims of Donald Trump's election lies, although they singled out uh, Rudy Giuliani as being the one who specifically uh, smeared them uh, more so than anyone else. Uh, and Caitlin Collins, um, it, it just beggars belief that, that uh, all these reputations, all these lies, all of this damage to our democracy, uh, to individual Americans, just because one man could not accept the fact that he lost. You know what I'm thinking about looking at Shea Moss there? She looks different than she did when she had this job in 2020. And that was something that she testified. She felt that she had to change her appearance, Jake, because she was so terrified of the threats that they were getting. Obviously, as you heard Ruby Freeman say there, she left her home of 20 years. They felt like they couldn't go to work. They couldn't go to the grocery store. They were worried that their family members would get calls about them being killed potentially by some of these people. And these are people who were animated and energized to act because Donald Trump was on a daily basis spreading these lies. And I think about, Jake, you know, covering the White House in that time period as Donald Trump was contesting the results, claiming that they were fraudulent, you know, losing court cases by the day, staffers leaving the administration because, you know, he just was repeating on a daily basis out leading up to January 6th that the election was stolen when it wasn't. There was there was the kind of this prevailing view among people who worked for him at the time before January 6th that if they just humored him for a few more weeks that they'd get to the day of Joe Biden's inauguration, they would leave the White House, he'd be inaugurated and Donald Trump would retire down to Mar-a-Lago. And they they kind of had this view that they would just go along with it. There were people in the White House who would still come out to cameras, to press briefings and push these lies about the election. Kayleigh McEnany would go on television with with the documents in her hand claiming that they proved things that that weren't true. And there was this view that if they just humored him, that they would go on and then it would all come to an end when he eventually did leave the White House. And obviously, January 6th changed that because you saw the violence on that day encapsulated of those weeks of lies. But also you see what happened to these two women. I mean, they were living that already and having Donald Trump and Rudy Giuliani invoke their names in state hearings. And you just saw the, the true cost of that, that as Ruby Freeman said there, money cannot change that. Yeah. Caitlin, stick around. Um, we're going to squeeze in a quick break. Uh, when we come back, I'm going to talk uh, with one of uh, Ruby Freeman and Shea Moss's attorneys, uh, Michael Gottlieb, who's here in the studio with us, came right from the courthouse. Uh, stay with us. And we're back with our breaking news. Rudy Giuliani, former lawyer for Donald Trump, former New York City mayor, former Republican presidential candidate, ordered to pay $148 million to the two former Georgia election workers he smeared and defamed. 
Ruby Freeman, and her daughter Shea Moss. Mr. Giuliani spread vicious lies and conspiracy theories about them after the 2020 election. Boy, how things have changed. Remember this? 2020, uh, this is 2001, rather. It's a relic of times past. Rudy Giuliani once gracing the cover of Time magazine. Person of the year, 2001, after then-Mayor Giuliani led New York City through the horrible attacks of 9-11. Time called him a, quote, tower of strength. How the mighty have fallen, King David once lamented. Let's bring in Mike Gottlieb, who represents both uh, Shea Moss and, and Ruby Friedman. Um, I Congratulations on, on the verdict. You must be, I mean, happy is not the right word for it, but you must feel like some justice was delivered. Yeah, I mean, we're thrilled and we are, you know, so happy for our clients who um, are, are true heroes for what they've done for standing up for themselves and for other election workers and being for willing to do that, um, knowing that they're being attacked, knowing that they'll be attacked more. Um, you know, by very, very powerful men with huge megaphones and, and to be able to stand up, to go into court, to testify under oath, to open themselves up and to prevail this kind of a message from a jury uh, is, is just complete vindication for everything they've done. And we're just we're thrilled. Um, you when you came in, you handed me this uh, ginger mint. Um, and I, uh, I want to know if you want to explain to the people uh, w w the significance of the ginger mint. Yeah, so that's Ruby Freeman's uh, favorite candy. It's been uh, her candy that she's had in her life for many, many years now, and it's been an important thing in her family since she's a little kid. She has those with her everywhere she goes, and she hands them out to people if they're feeling sick or if, if they have a stomach ache. This is Miss, Miss Ruby. Lady Ruby. Ruby. Lady yeah. Ruby. Yeah, so yeah. She, she hands that Lady out. Lady Ruby, and, sorry. Lady Ruby. And the, the, the relationship to this case is that when she was, you know, accused of passing USB or flash drives off to, off to her daughter, Shea Moss, which uh, uh, was false from the start, she was handing off one of those. This is what it actually was, a, a ginger mint. A lot of information stored in that candy, Jake. <laughs> um, I, I kind of want to keep it and not eat it. Um, the, uh, Rudy Giuliani said it looked like uh, they were passing around dope. Yeah. Well, it depends what your interpretation of a ginger mint is, I guess. What was it like inside the courtroom during the trial? I, I mean, it was, it was incredibly emotional, the, the testimony that, um, that Ruby and Shay gave. It was just so powerful hearing their stories about what happened to them and the people who came to their home and the threats. And the, the jury heard you know, the worst of the worst, vile, racist threats that, that came in and poured in on you know, text, voicemail, email, letters that came to their home uh, with just grotesque images. So, I mean, it was just a, an emotional several days. Uh, and then, you know, Rudy Giuliani was supposed to testify and uh, then decided not to. So it was, uh, uh, I'm sure for some people, uh, a little disappointing in that respect. So uh, Giuliani, after uh, the verdict, came outside and he said those messages that they received were horrible, but those weren't messages he gave. He shouldn't be held responsible for them. Uh, yeah, well, the problem is that he really was patient zero for the um, lies that were told about our clients. I mean, the hearing that took place on December 3rd uh, in Georgia was one that he was the head of the legal team uh, that made the decisions to play that video and then made the decision to send that State Farm video out into the world claiming that it was evidence of fraud. And if they would have taken just a moment uh, to ask some questions, to uh, see if they should maybe interview one of the poll observers who was there, including the Republicans ones, who said that they weren't kicked out, that there, there wasn't any conspiracy about a water main leak. None of this would have ever happened. Not, none of this had to happen. That's what's so tragic about it.
Did Giuliani ever say anything to your clients in the courtroom or, or anything to, to you? Uh, no, never did. Um, $148 million. Uh, you had asked for $48 million. You got $148 million. I don't know that Rudy Giuliani has $1 million. I mean, I have no idea what he has. He hasn't been able to pay his legal bills. He has three ex-wives. Um, he's, he, I'm sure he's going to plead poverty in addition to, to appealing this case. Um, do you expect to see any money? Yeah, I mean, we're not concerned about an appeal. Uh, we, we feel very comfortable with our, with our verdict. Um, as far as money, we will enforce this judgment. We will follow it, uh, as I think I said the last time I came on here, to the end of the earth uh, to achieve a recovery for our clients. And, and honestly, the message that this sends, uh, the $70 million punitive damage verdict, the message that that sends. 75, I think. Right? 75, I, I may have gotten the numbers <laughs> wrong in between the courthouse and here, but the message that sends to other powerful people out there that have huge audiences and are just willing to trample people, civil servants trying to do their jobs, whether they're election workers or you know, people on school boards or teachers or people who work at the post office. The message that this sends is you're not going to get away with it. There are people out there who will represent those people who will take you to court and will, and will prevail because juries see through these lies. And in court, you can't hide behind these lies. You, you have to answer, you have to stand up and testify under oath, and if you don't do it, you're going to get hit with a massive verdict like this. Um, Rudy Giuliani was not the only one. He might have been patient zero, but he's not the only one who was defaming your clients. Donald Trump defamed your clients, um, publicly and in private phone calls. Uh, are you going to sue him? Well, he was, a, he was found to be a co-conspirator in this case, so um, that's been established by uh, the court's finding, and uh, that's been, uh, you know, uh, uh, we think the verdict actually reflects uh, the kind of reach that Donald Trump's statements have. You know, as to what we might do in the future, I mean, I think um, anyone who continues to uh, spread these falsehoods about Ms. Freeman and Ms. Moss can expect to hear from us. Would they rather have this had not happened than have $148 million? Absolutely. And they, I mean, they testified about that in court. They would both give anything to have their lives back. I mean, Ruby Freeman had to leave her home, her community that she lived in for 20 years, the place she wanted to live her entire life in. You know, Shay, um, all she ever wanted to do was to be an election worker in Fulton County and to stay in that job her whole life and retire and serve, you know, serve people and help people engage in uh, the right to vote. And those things are gone and they would trade this verdict today, you know, in a heartbeat to have those lives back. Donald Trump and his minions continue to lie about the 2020 election and we're about to enter the 2024 election. I'm sure they're going to be even more lies. You're saying this verdict is a warning to Mr. Trump and anyone else. You tell lies about individuals like this, you will be sued and you will have to pay. Absolutely. Absolutely. It, it is 100 percent that message uh, to Donald Trump, to anyone who uh, goes out uh, with a large audience and decides that they're going to scapegoat or take advantage of somebody in order to gain advantage in an election, in politics, to make a little more money, to build their brand a little more. Um, there is a path and a strategy now that, um, that we have available to us to hold those people accountable. All right, Mike Gottlieb, thank you so much, and congratulations to your clients. Thanks, on, Jake. On, uh, on justice. Thank you. Justice. More breaking news coming in the autopsy results for actor Matthew Perry showing what exactly led to the death of the Friends star. The report just in from the Los Angeles Medical Examiner's Office. That's next. 
I'm Ina Garten. Welcome to Be My Guest, the podcast. One of the best gifts you can give friends is spending time together. But what's even better than that? Cooking with them. On Be My Guest, the podcast, new friends and old stop by my barn for some conversation and great cooking. We talk about food, life, and everything in between. Listen to Be My Guest, the podcast with me, Ina Garten, and join us wherever you get your podcasts. In our pop culture lead today, we are following some sad breaking news. An autopsy report just in from the Los Angeles Medical Examiner's Office reveals that friend star Matthew Perry died as a result of, quote, acute effects of ketamine and subsequent drowning. Perry was found dead in his swimming pool. In October, authorities say no foul play was involved. CNN's Elizabeth Wagmeister is following this for us in Los Angeles. Uh, Elizabeth, what more does the medical report have to say? Hi, Jake. So the autopsy says that Matthew Perry did die from acute effects of ketamine and subsequent drowning. He was found face down in the pool at his own home, and authorities say that there was no foul play. Now, for the first time from this report, we are getting confirmation that the person who first found Matthew Perry was a live-in assistant who came home from running errands, saw him in the pool, propped up his body and called 911. Now this assistant did not report to 911 any illnesses, drug use or drinking, but what the report does say is that there was ketamine found in Matthew Perry's system and it was reported that he had been receiving ketamine infusion therapy to treat depression and anxiety. Oh, interesting. Okay, Elizabeth, stand by. I want to bring in uh, Chief Medical Correspondent Dr. Sanjay Gupta. Um, Sanjay, so that's interesting because I know ketamine is sometimes used to treat um, depression and anxiety. And Elizabeth says that he was getting ketamine infusions. Um, So this doesn't necessarily mean a drug overdose. It might mean that just an unfortunate prescription. Well, yeah, if you read the the report, it's a pretty detailed report, about 30 pages. They do make the point that he he was receiving infusion therapy of ketamine, which can be used to help treat depression and anxiety but that the last infusion was probably about a week and a half earlier. Mm. And to give you some context, the half-life of ketamine is just just a few hours. Oh, okay. So both things likely to be true here, Jake, that he could be receiving this infusion therapy, but it's not likely it had anything to do with with what we're talking about here. Uh, As Elizabeth was just saying, I'll just put this up for you. This is what the the report showed. They have these, these causes, these lists of causes of... Uh, death, things that contributed to his death. Ketamine, they say, is the, the acute thing, but drowning, remember he was in a pool, uh, coronary artery disease, which he had underlying, and also buprenorphine, which is a, a type of opioid. But what it really sounds like here, putting it together, and again, reading this entire report, he took ketamine, again, separate, it sounds like, from the infusion. He did have some evidence of ketamine, for example, in his stomach. So it sounds like he was taking that separate from that infusion therapy. And it's, it's an anesthetic-like drug, Jake. In fact, if you look at the levels of ketamine uh, that was found in his blood, uh, I can show you the levels and we can compare that to what general anesthesia typically uses. So he was around 3,200 or so nanograms. General anesthesia is you know, 1,000 to 6,000 nanograms. So he had a very high level of ketamine in his system. Having said that, still, uh, ketamine can cause someone to become very dissociated. In and of itself, it's not likely, typically, to lead to someone to die, except for the fact that he was also in a swimming pool. 
So it's ketamine and the pool, all these things combined. We talked to a few toxicologists. Here's how somebody put it. They said simply the ketamine isn't likely what killed him, but made it rather possible for him to drown. Hmm. So really sad, Jake. But that's how it sounds. That's what sounds like happened here. Does it sound like he was self-prescribing? Are these medicines that are that he might use to get over his his anxiety and depression? Or I mean, I've also heard of ketamine being used, obviously, as club drugs. Uh, so right. I, I mean, I, recreationally. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, I think both things can be true. It's, it can be an effective use of a drug for depression and anxiety. And it sounds like he was getting that through an infusion and, you know, into, into this bloodstream. But you can also take it as a as a club drug. They make a point that they don't know how he was taking it, the route uh, in which he was taking it. But they did find trace amounts in his stomach as well. So um, it's likely that both those things were true. He was getting it as a therapy but also taking it on his own, misusing it. Yeah, and, and ultimately leading to his drowning. Elizabeth, uh, Matthew Perry uh, was very open about his struggles with drugs. He, in fact, said that uh, before he died, he said that uh, if he were to be known for anything, it would be, he would want to be known for helping individuals who are also dealing with addiction. Absolutely. And this is such a sad ending to Matthew Perry's life. As you said, Jake, he was incredibly open about his struggle with addiction. In his memoir that came out about a year ago, he went into great detail about this lifelong struggle. He said that he had been to rehab 15 times. He spent millions of dollars on his journey to sobriety. And as you said, what he wanted to be remembered for was just helping others. In fact, just earlier this week, his friend's co-star, Jennifer Aniston, she gave an interview and she said she was texting Matthew Perry the morning of his death. She said he was happy, he was healthy, and that is really what she wants everybody to know and to remember by. It's the tragic story. Dr. Sanjay Gupta and CNN's new uh, entertainment correspondent, Elizabeth Wagmeister, uh, thanks to both of you. Really appreciate it, even if it's for a sad story. Um, to the breaking news in Israel now, protests in Tel Aviv right now after the Israeli military announced earlier today that three hostages in Gaza were accidentally killed by Israeli defense forces. We're going to go live to Tel Aviv next. We have some breaking news for you in our world lead protests in Tel Aviv after the tragic killing of three men who had been held hostage by Hamas since October 7th. They were killed in Gaza accidentally at the hands of their own military. The Israel Defense Forces saying in the midst of a battle, they mistakenly identified these three hostages as a potential threat. Their names were Yotam Chaim, a heavy metal drummer who was 28, Samer Talalka, he was an avid motorcyclist who was only 22, and Alon Shamriz, who sent his brother a heart emoji as he was being kidnapped by Hamas. Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu calling the deaths an unbearable tragedy, a gut-wrenching thought that they could have been just moments away from potential liberation. CNN's Alex Marquardt is in Tel Aviv, where hostage families are protesting what happened today. Alex, what, what are you seeing at this protest as the IDF acknowledges that they accidentally killed these three hostages? Well, Jake, it's hostage families, it's friends, it's sympathizers. This protest that you see behind me uh, sprung up as the news, uh, this tragic news of these three hostages being killed 
uh, was released by the IDF. This was a march that has been weaving through the streets of Tel Aviv. We're now in Dizengoff Square, which is in the center of the city. It started at the Kirya, which is essentially Israel's Pentagon. It is a mixture of anger, anger at the government that they haven't done enough to get the remaining hostages home. There are around 130 of them. And of course, it is so much sadness about the tragedy. Uh, as you say, these three men, so close to their own Israeli forces, so close to freedom, and then they were shot and killed by Israeli soldiers. I spoke with a man named Daniel, um, who is friends with the mother of one of those hostages killed today, Yotam Haim. Here's a little bit of what he told me. Take a listen. We are asking our government, our cabinet, to do the best they can to find more solution because we want our friends and we want our family now. Yesterday we want them. There so is another no hostage time. deal. Another pause in the fighting? For another hostage deal, for example, I, we just want them to find a solution because we don't have another time. We see what is going on. So, Jake, the IDF has said this is a sad and painful incident that they are investigating. What they know is that these three men were shot and killed by the IDF. What they are trying to figure out is whether they had <coughs> escaped, whether they had been released. A lot of questions and a lot of anger demands tonight for the rest of the hostages to be brought home, for a new deal to be struck with Hamas. Yeah, a lot of hostage families uh, have been pushing since the beginning for Netanyahu to focus on rescuing the hostages and not the military campaign in Gaza. Um, Alex, you're also following uh, the U.S. National Security Advisor, Jake Sullivan, uh, who has been visiting Tel Aviv. Um, the U.S. is, is trying to, to put pressure on Israel, public and private, uh, to prevent more civilian casualties in Gaza. Yeah, they're doing it rather gently in public, but they certainly are pressuring uh, the Israelis. They're saying that Israel has an intent to keep people safe. Uh, but that the results aren't matching that. I asked Jake Sullivan in a press conference today how he squares that Israeli intent to keep civilians safe with the, our reporting on all these dumb bombs. And he says that Israel has a process uh, that they, you know, they figure out when and where to use these munitions. But he made it clear that Israel is falling short. But in terms of the message, it's essentially do better. It is a relatively uh, light, you know, soft message uh, that is, is, it has not to this point, Jake, uh, been all that tough on Israel. Jake? All right, Alex Marquardt in Tel Aviv. Thank you so much. We're going to squeeze in a quick break. We'll be right back. Black women in the United States are two to three times more likely to die from pregnancy-related complications than are white women, according to the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. And this Sunday, on The Whole Story with Anderson Cooper, CNN anchor Abby Phillip is on a personal jury to try to understand why the black maternal mortality rate is so high. Abby spoke with the family of April Valentine, a black woman who died during childbirth at an L.A. hospital earlier this year. Her family says her death was entirely preventable and due to negligence. We want to warn you, the details of the story are disturbing. They treated her almost like it was an assembly line. They didn't check her. They didn't feed her. They didn't respond to her. She tried to throw up like thick spit came up and her body locked up and her eyes rolled to the back of her head. So I looked up and I screamed. I'm like, told the nurse, I'm like, ma'am, ma'am, help me. She, she ain't breathing. So I start doing CPR on her. Nurses called for a code blue, Nigel said. And along with April's doctor, finally took action. 
They rolled her down the hallway, but when they made it to the double doors, the nurse handed her the knife, and she just cut her wide open and took the baby out. Baby Anaya survived. Her mother did not. CNN's Abby Phillip will have the report on an all-new episode of The Whole Story with Anderson Cooper. That's an entire hour with one whole story. That's Sunday night, 9 p.m. Eastern and Pacific, only on CNN. I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, host of the Chasing Life podcast. In honor of our 10th season, we want to hear from you. Leave us a message at 470-396-0832 and tell us how you chase life. It could be used on an upcoming episode.